The City of God. The divine history and life of the Blessed Virgin Mary revealed to the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus who lived in a greater Spain from 1602 to 1665. She's also commonly known as Sister Maria de Jesus. Sister Mary was a Conceptionist nun which is a Franciscan order, and the abbess of the convent of the Conception in Agreda, Spain. Provided for the encouragement of the faithful. Translated from the original Spanish by Fisca Marison. The pen name for Father George J. Blatter. Imprimatur. Written at Rome City, Indiana, August 24, 1912. To Father George J. Blatter, Dear Reverend Father, my imprimatur is herewith granted to your English translation of the work entitled City of God, wishing you every blessing, I remain devotedly in Domino, H.J. Alerting, Bishop of Fort Wayne. By the miracle of his omnipotence, and the abyss of his grace, the divine history and life of the Virgin Mother of God, our Queen and Our Lady, Most Holy Mary Expiatrix of the Fault of Eve and Mediatrix of Grace, Manifested in these later ages by the Blessed Virgin Mary to her handmaid, the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus, Superioress of the Convent of the Immaculate Conception, in the town of Agreda, of the province of Burgos in Spain, under obedience to the regular observance of the Seraphic Father Saint Francis for new enlightenment of the world, for rejoicing of the Catholic Church, and the encouragement of people. A special notice to the reader acting private revelations. Nothing, that essentially differs from the teachings of the Catholic Church, can rightfully be taught, or believed, by any man, or under any pretext. The essential doctrines can be taught and expounded only in the sense and spirit approved, or at least not disapproved, by the Church. This at once will establish the position which private revelations, whether coming from heaven, or originating from hallucination, merely human or devilish, hold in the Church of God. There can be no doubt that God can, and does, manifest to chosen souls, hidden things in addition to what he teaches through the public ministry of his church. It is also an accepted truth that he sometimes reveals them to his friends, for the express purpose of communicating this extra knowledge to other well-disposed persons, through the natural and human means, at the disposal of those receiving his revelations. These manifestations he invariably surrounds with enough evidence to satisfy all requirements of a cautious and well-founded human belief. It follows naturally, that whenever he thus surrounds private revelations with evidences of their heavenly origin, he will be pleased, with a rational and loving belief, and dissatisfied with a captious and obstinate unbelief of the facts or truths thus privately revealed. Where however these external evidences are wanting, or wherever Holy Church intimates the least direct or indirect disapproval, any faith in private revelation would be not only foolish, but positively wrong. Church approval. The Church has as yet given no public, and full approval to private revelations of any kind, nor will she ever do so, since that would be really an addition to the deposit of faith left by Christ. But tacitly and indirectly, she has approved many private revelations, and among them the writings of Mary of Jesus from Agreda. She could well do so since there are no writings of that kind which exhibit more reliable human proofs of divine origin than the City of God. 
The existence of the Bible justifies the query whether there aren't other books that have been written under supernatural guidance, though we know of course that none of them can ever have the same importance and authenticity, as the Bible. For the Bible, was provided as the record of the general revelations of God to mankind, at all its stages to the end of times. There's a vast field between knowledge and revelation. Evidently, there remains an immense domain of truths outside the range of natural human knowledge that aren't specially revealed in the Bible. You will at once say that whole field is covered by the one true religion. Of course it is. The teaching and ministry of men especially appointed for that purpose, the practice, and example, of those eminent in the Christian virtues, the writings of those versed in higher truths are the ordinary means of spreading truth, and leading people to their great destiny. But besides all this, history proves that God, for special purposes, often grants to his friends higher insight into supernatural truths and facts, which, if at his command, they are recorded in writing are intended by him as an additional source of higher knowledge, and well deserve to be considered as private revelations. Searching for the earmarks of deceit. Past ages simply teem with writings that claim to be derived from, or based on divine revelation or inspiration. Many of them are clearly nothing but frauds, showing the signs of conscious or unconscious hallucination. Many again seem beyond mere natural human powers of insight, but at the same time, in their authorship and tendencies show nothing divine or beneficent, thus proving that besides human error and malice, the sinister and treacherous knowledge of malign spirits often finds its way into such writings. Ancient sorcery, magic and modern spiritism have their root in this sort of preternatural communication. Private revelation should always be closely scrutinized. It would be foolish not to demand the closest inquiry into anything put forward as private revelation. Fortunately it is easy to apply sure and unfailing tests. All that is necessary is to ascertain the character and motives of the writer, and the result or drift of his writings. Muhammad proves himself an epileptic adventurer and his Quran a travesty of Judaism and Christianity, settling like a blight upon civilization. Joseph Smith and his companions turn out to be rebellious incendiaries and murderers, and their Book of Mormon a ridiculous fake, establishing a fanatic and bigamous theocracy. The fake ear Dowie, pretending prophecy, ends as a lunatic in a bankrupt Zion yet leaving millions to his relatives. The humbugging Eddie, after crazy quilting scraps from the Bible with shreds of Buddhism, Brahmanism, and Theosophy, shuffles off her inkled coil amid a numerous following of dupes who rather expected her faked science to keep her perpetually alive, or raise her up from the dead. Is there any difficulty in discovering the fraud in revelations of such a kind? Yet they claim divine inspiration and very often contain passages which show sources of information and deceit that are not altogether human. The sinister manifestation of spiritism, and the astounding information often furnished by mediums, are not all sleight of hand or illusion of the senses. Some of these things can be explained only by assuming interference of a sinister spirit world. Another argument for private revelations. Wouldn't it be absurd to concede the communication with evil spirits or departed souls, damned or otherwise, 
and all reasonable people concede it, and deny the possibility of communication with the good spirits or souls and with God. Who would want to limit the power of God in this way? It will not do to claim that all the communication of God and the good spirits takes the ordinary course provided in the public ministry of the true religion. For it does not. Saint Paul saw things that he dared not reveal though he was not slow in writing down his other revelations. The doctrine of the Immaculate Conception and the infallibility of the Pope was privately revealed many times before they were officially defined and accepted as self-understood truths by all reasonable people. Before these doctrines were defined, who had the greater prudence and insight? Those people who refused to believe these truths because they were privately revealed, or those who examined those revelations, and finding them humanly credible, and not contrary to the true religion simply accepted them as revealed by God. I should think the latter showed themselves ahead of their times, and far more enlightened in their belief than the former, who persisted in a finical unbelief concerning all private revelations. There should be no difficulty to distinguish the true from the false. If we find that the author of alleged private revelations, has been a faithful adherent of the one true religion, established by God, that he has led a good and blameless life, that his writings do not run counter to the Bible, nor to the public teachings of the true church, and that he was not actuated by motives of selfish gain, pecuniary or otherwise, and that the writings themselves tend toward the practice of perfection, both as far as the writer as well as the reader is concerned, and that they have not been openly disapproved by the church, then certainly, if the information recorded is such that it would presuppose supernatural inspiration, or direct communication with the higher world, we are not justified in immediately rejecting the writings as fraudulent. Closer examination may easily lead to reasonable certainty that they are privately revealed. But we all know that this acceptance can never mean anything more than a mere human belief, not the belief of faith, such as for instance is demanded by Holy Scripture. In fact, as soon as any such writing lays claim to implicit faith it certainly is no revelation, and ought to be rejected at once as spurious. Some background information about the venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. Sister Mary was the daughter of Francis Coronel and Catherine of Aranier, born April 2, 1602, in the small town of Agreda near Tarazona in Spain. In 1617, she entered the convent of the Discalced Franciscan nuns at the convent of the Immaculate Conception in Agreda, and took her vows one year later. In 1625, she was chosen abbess, much against her wishes, and except during a short intermission was re-elected every three years until she died in 1665. The fame of her prudence and foresight, not only in the government of her convent but in other matters, soon spread outside the convent walls. Persons of the highest rank in state and church were eager to obtain her counsel in important affairs. King Philip IV visited her several times in her convent and corresponded with her about national affairs for many years. But she was no less famous for her exalted virtues. In many respects her life was a faithful copy of that of Saint Francis. The miracle of bilocation related of her is in fact more remarkable and lasted a longer time than that recorded anywhere in the lives of the saints. Her good sense, her truthfulness, her sincerity, 
her humility, and her unselfish love of God and man eminently adapted her for the communication of messages from God to men. Why did she write the mystical city of God? In all writing that lays claim to private revelation, the motives of the writer must be closely scrutinized. If it appears to be a self-imposed task for selfish ends, monetary gain or otherwise, tending to particularity in religious teachings or practices not approved by the established faith or written without knowledge or consultation of the rightful superiors, it ought to be rejected as fake. God will reveal nothing for such purpose or under such circumstances, and he will permit human error, deceit and the sinister influence of hell to run their natural course. Nothing of all this appears in the writings of Mary of Agreda. Though she was urged interiorly and exteriorly to record the facts of history revealed to her concerning the Mother of God, she resisted for twelve years and was finally induced to write only through the positive commands of her superiors. Reluctantly she began her history in the year 1637, and finished it in the year 1645 continually asking to be relieved from the task because she thought herself unworthy. As soon as the insistence of her superiors relaxed and an error of judgment on the part of an outside confessor gave her a plausible excuse, she burned all her writings, thus destroying the labor of many years. When this came to the knowledge of the higher authorities, and when they insisted on her rewriting the history which continued to be supernaturally made known to her, she again succeeded in delaying the task for ten years. Only the strictest command under obedience, and the threat of censures finally induced her to write the manuscript which she began in 1655 and finished in 1665, and which is still preserved in the convent of Agreda. Why was this revealed to Sister Mary of Jesus? It is to be remembered that God's almighty power is restricted to no particular instrument, he creates out of nothing. In the case of Balaam, he used not only that wicked man but even his beast for special revelation. It does seem that he prefers women for private revelation. He chose men to reveal the great public truths of the Bible and to attend to the public teaching, but to women in the new law he seems to have consigned the task of private revelations. At least most of the known private revelations have been furnished us by women and not men. We must infer from this that they are better adapted for this work. In fact, no special learning or great natural insight is required of a messenger, such qualities might tend to corrupt, or narrow down the inspired message to mere human proportions, whereas private revelation is given precisely for the purpose of communicating higher truths than can be known or understood naturally. Humility, great piety and love with deep faith, are the prerequisites of God's special messengers. Women as a rule are more inclined to these virtues than men, and therefore are not so apt to trim the message of God down to their own natural powers of understanding. In choosing women for his special revelations, he gives us to understand from the outset that what he wishes to reveal is above the natural faculties of perception and insight of either man or woman. What was initially said about City of God? As soon as the City of God appeared in print it was welcomed and extolled as a most wonderful work. The different translations found no less enthusiastic welcome in nearly all the European countries. It secured the immediate approbation and praise of the ordinaries, the universities, and the learned and eminent men of Christendom. 
There is probably no other book which was so closely scrutinized by those in authority, both civil and religious, and afterwards so signally approved as the City of God. By order of Popes Innocent VI, Alexander VIII, Clement IX, Benedict XIII, and Benedict XIV, City of God was repeatedly subjected to the closest scrutiny and declared authentic, worthy of devout perusal and free from error. The title Venerabilis was conferred upon the author. A large-sized volume would be required to record the praises and commendations written in favor of the great city of God. So did anyone oppose the mystical city of God. As the city of God so strenuously maintains the prerogatives of the mother of God, and the authority of the popes, it was not to be expected that it should escape the malicious slander and intrigues of those tainted with Jansenism and Gallicanism. Many members of the Sorbonne in Paris, were secret or open adherers of these sects at the time when the City of God was first published in French, about the year 1678. The first translation in French was very inexact, and contained many insertions and false versions of the original. Dr. Louis Elias Dupin, and Dr. Hidou of the Sorbonne, made this translation the foundation of virulent attacks. Dupin was called by Pope Clement XI, a man of pernicious doctrines. Hidou turned out to be a rabid and fanatical Jansenist, cut off from the church as a heretic. As they and other members of the Sorbonne succeeded in enlisting the sympathy of influential Gallican courtiers and church dignitaries, both in Paris and at Rome, they secured a clandestine prohibition of the City of God, which appeared in the acts of the Congregation of the Office. When it was discovered, no one could be found who would dare stand sponsor for it, and immediately Pope Innocent XI, on November 9, 1681, annulled the act, positively decreeing that the City of God, be freely spread among the clergy and laity. The very fact that this prohibition did not issue from the Index Commission, but from a department, not concerned with the examination of books, proves that it owes its insertion to Gallican intrigue, secretly extending even to high circles in Rome, and to the fair-minded, this sectarian attempt should be a convincing argument for the excellence and orthodoxy of the doctrines contained in the revelations of Mary of Agreda. The mystical city of God has has been published with many translated editions. The popularity and excellence of the great history of the Mother of God is also evidenced by its widespread diffusion. It has appeared in over 60 editions in Spanish, Italian, French, Portuguese, German, Latin, Arabic, Greek, and Polish. Does it not seem providential that the first English translation of this great work, should have been reserved for our own times? No other language on the face of the earth is the medium of so many theories, sects and isms as the English language, and the City of God is a most timely and efficient antidote for the epidemic of false doctrines which is sweeping over all the earth, and affects especially, the English-speaking portion of the human race. What are the expectations of this translation? The translator and promoter of the City of God is confident that it will not be one of the books idly filling the shelves of libraries, but one which at the first cursory inspection, will arouse the desire of further inquiry, and lead to repeated and attentive perusal. This translation is offered as an exact and as perfect a rendition of the original Spanish into English as ten years of assiduous labor, and a considerable experience in literary production give a right to expect.
the subject matter surely ought to secure for it, a proper place in the more elevated ranks of English literature. May this first English translation, under the guidance of our holy faith, bring forth abundant fruits of the Spirit among English-speaking people in all parts of the world. This introduction was written on the Feast of the Annunciation 1912, by Fisker Marison, South Chicago. The first Pope to officially take notice of City of God, was Pope Innocent XI, who, on July 3, 1686, in response to a series of virulent attacks and machinations of some members of the Sorbonne, known to be Jansenists, issued a brief permitting the publication, and reading of the City of God. Later similar decrees were issued by Popes Alexander VIII, Clement IX and Benedict XIII. These decrees were followed by two decrees of the Congregation of Rites, approved by Benedict XIV, and Clement XIV, in which the authenticity of City of God is extant and written by the Venerable Servant of God, Mary of Jesus, is officially established. The great Pope Benedict XIII, when he was Archbishop of Benevent, used these revelations as material for a series of sermons on the Blessed Virgin. On September 26, 1713, the Bishop of Senedo Italy, objecting to the publication of the City of God, was peremptorily ordered by the Holy Office to withdraw his objections as interfering with the decree of Pope Innocent XI for the Universal Church. The process of canonization of Mary of Agreda, was promoted by the Spanish bishops and other eminent men of the Church soon after her death in 1666. It has resulted so far in securing her the title of Venerable, thus clearing the way to her beatification for which, let us hope, God will soon raise a promoter among the many pious and eminent men who hold in esteem her writings, and have learned of her holy life, and of the miracles wrought at her tomb. The Redemptorist Fathers published a new German translation in 1885, which was approved and highly recommended by the Bishop of Ratisbon in the following terms. We take pleasure in giving our episcopal approbation to the annotated translation of the Spanish original of the City of God, written by Mary of Jesus. We recommend this book, which will surely edify all readers, and be the occasion of great spiritual blessings. Signed Ignatius, Bishop of Ratisbon. September 29, 1885. Notable is the high recommendation of the Prince Archbishop of Salzburg, Apostolic Legate and Primate of Germany, etc. According to the decrees of Popes Innocent XI and Clement XI, the book known as City of God written by the Venerable Servant of God, Mary of Jesus, may be read by all the faithful. A number of episcopal approbations and the recommendations of four renowned universities, namely, of Toulouse, Salamanca, Alcala and Louvain, and of prominent members of different orders, coincide in extolling the above-named work. The learned and pious Cardinal Aguirre says that he considers all the studies of fifty years of his previous life as of small consequence, in comparison with the doctrines he found in this book, which in all things are in harmony with the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Fathers, and Councils of the Church. The Venerable Superior General of St. Sulpice, Abbey Emery, adds, Only since I read the revelations of Mary of Agreda, do I properly know Jesus and his Holy Mother. We therefore do not hesitate, in granting our episcopal approbation, to City of God, and wish to recommend it to the faithful, and especially to our clergy.
Signed, Franz Albert, Archbishop Salzburg, September 12, 1885. A more recent official approbation of City of God is from the Bishop of Tarazona, prefacing the new edition of 1911. By the grace of God and of the Apostolic See, Bishop of Tarazona and the Administrator Apostolic of the Diocese of Tudela, we attest to the following. Having charged the priest Don Eduardo Royo, chaplain and confessor at the convent of the Immaculate Conception of Agreda, that he carefully and exactly compare the manuscript which is to serve as copy for the printing of the new edition of the City of God, now about to be published by the religious of the above-named convent, using the authenticated original manuscript of that work preserved there, and having ascertained by a personal revision of a great part of the manuscript, attest that the said priest has diligently and faithfully fulfilled this charge imposed upon him by us. Therefore we now certify that this present edition of City of God, with the exception of a few small orthographic modifications, is entirely conformable to the original of that work, as composed and written by the Venerable Mother Mary of Jesus of Agreda. Signed, James. Bishop of Tarazona. April 7, 1911. The mystical City of God is divided into three parts, and eight books. Part 1 contains books 1 and 2. Part 2, contains books 3, 4, 5 and 6. Part 3, contains books 7 and 8. As circumstances compelled a serial publication of the four volumes, the author judged it best to head these divisions as follows. The Conception, books 1 and 2. The Incarnation, books 3 and 4. The Transfiction, books 5 and 6. The Coronation, Books 7 and 8. This audio series will follow the translator, Fiskamarison, in his divisions of book, chapter, and paragraph, listings and numbers. The audio presentation of Mystical City of God will start with the next audio recording. Listen prayfully and often. The benefits for you are beyond description. May God bless this and all your spiritual endeavors.